Well, has it really been a month? That was one long break. Nevertheless, Formula One is back, ready to return for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix through the streets of Baku this weekend. And it's a sprint weekend, everybody. Uh, But it's a little bit different. We'll have that for you coming up. And we'll have a preview of this weekend's race with our top five storylines. We'll take a look at the circuit. And yes, we got to go back a month, if I can remember that long ago. It's our top five, bottom five from Australia. This is the Overtake Formula One podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for joining us. If you're new to this podcast, I hope you like it. And I hope you'll leave us a five-star review. We could absolutely use the help as we continue to grow. This is season number three for us. If you're a longtime listener, thank you for your support. Please consider subscribing. Leave us a five-star review wherever you get this podcast. Helps us with the algorithms. You've probably heard this a million times from podcasters. It really is true. So we really do appreciate the support. Again, five-star review and you know subscribe. We really do appreciate it. So we're going to go over the top five storylines for this weekend for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. I do want to say this to Formula One. Please don't do that again. We get the summer break, man. We get it. We're all accustomed to taking a break off in the summertime. But when you give us three Grand Prix, don't take a month off. I don't care that the Chinese Grand Prix was canceled and you, and you just left it blank and you left it wide open. Give us something else. That's a long break. I was in Houston for the Final Four the weekend of the Australian Grand Prix. That feels like ages ago. And here we are this weekend for round four in the streets of Baku. This is one of my, I wouldn't say favorite race of the year, but it's one of my tops. I I really love this circuit. I love this Grand Prix. I think the track is unique. I think it's kind of got a a, a beauty to it. There's something neat about street circuits that I like. Um, It's fast. It's unpredictable. We got all that coming for you in our top five storylines. But the top storyline that we are going to be watching this weekend is what I mentioned earlier. It is a sprint weekend, and it is the first one of the season. The sprint weekend is now different than it used to be. It was two seasons, 2021 and 2022, that we started to get accustomed to three races on the calendar having this additional element to the weekend. And now it is totally different. The format is totally different. And to be honest with you, its meaning is now different. We're going to get to that. If you remember what it was before, you would go to a Grand Prix on Sprint Weekend or you'd watch it on TV and you would have traditional qualifying, the Q1, Q2, Q3, to set up the grid for the Sprint Race, which would be on Saturday. And that was one-third the length of the Grand Prix. And then when that race was over, then what you would have is that running order would be your start starting grid for Sunday's race. Now, it allowed for two things to happen. One, let's say you killed it in qualifying on Friday. You you got it to Q3, you got a top five, maybe it was an unexpected top five. Then you get to the sprint race, you don't do particularly well, and then you suffer in the starting grid on Sunday's Grand Prix. On the flip side, what, what if you were terrible on qualifying? You were just, oh man, we didn't even get out of Q1, right? whatever it is. Maybe you make up for it. Maybe you you find some gaps. You you get some overtakes. Maybe there's a accident up front. You benefit from that. And you find yourself in the top eight. You get a you get a couple of points and you get a good starting position. So it, it allowed for both good to bad and bad to good with the qualifying and the sprint race to determine the running order for Sunday. If that makes any sense. But now it's going to be different. So this is what's going to happen this weekend. Friday you're going to have traditional qualifying. That's going to set the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix. Like all other times, we've had qualifying on non-sprint weekends. So what you're going to see on Friday in Azerbaijan, that sets the grid for Sunday. But what does the sprint race do? That's the question. Well, 
on Saturday, there's going to be a sprint race that's going to be determined by a sprint qualifying prior to that. The sprint qualifying is going to be a shorter version of regular qualifying, just like the sprint race is a shorter version of the Grand Prix. Saturday becomes its own separate event that doesn't tie in to the larger picture of the weekend, which is the Grand Prix on Sunday. Nothing that happens on Saturday in terms of results have anything to do with what's going to happen in the Grand Prix. That will be determined in Friday's traditional qualifying. Now, naturally, if you get in an accident and you have to repair your car and all of those kind of things, that will affect the Grand Prix. But I'm just talking about running order. All Saturday is going to be is a short race. Top eight gets points. That's it. That's it. So is this good? I mean, is this a good change? Like I said, I think there's some pros and cons here. I think the pros are if you are having a good qualifying run and you get to the sprint race and you don't do particularly well, kind of ruins what you did in qualifying. On the other side, what exactly is this? Uh, We kind of want things to be interconnected. I don't necessarily love the idea that this is just another race that has nothing to do with anything. So technically, here's what we're going to have this season with six races. Check out the math. You're going to have 23 regular races, right? Regular Grand Prix weekends all around the world. 23 races. And you're going to have six one-third races at various spots around the globe on the Saturdays. Now, that means that's two additional Grand Prix that are going to be run for points. That's basically what that is. So this becomes sort of a 25-week schedule for the drivers, and even though the six races aren't attached to each other in any capacity, that's basically what it is. And in those six races, you've got each one of those races, you can get points. Now, listen, one of the reasons why in 2021, if you listen to this podcast, I was against points being awarded to the top three. Remember, they were just giving it to the top three was there used to be or I don't even think it exists anymore, to be honest with you. There used to be a sacredness to world championship points. Your Formula One career and your Formula One career as a team principal was based on world championship points. Right. You want wins, but championship points were kind of sacred. You know, we see drivers cry when they get their first ones. Right. When you get a Formula One point, you're in the books. You're in the books. You've been awarded points as a driver in the history of Formula One. I don't know how much that still exists. I mean, again, that's that might be more old school thinking than anything else. I mean, I did see George Russell shed some tears when he was with Williams and landed his first career points. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So anyway, check that out this weekend. It's the number one thing we're watching for at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Number two, and this goes without saying, but I'm not going to try to do this every weekend. I just feel like it's been a month since our last Grand Prix, and we've had three races in the books, and it's pretty obvious. Is Red Bull just too good this season? Max Verstappen has won twice. Sergio Perez won at Jeddah. A race Verstappen could have won at. Red Bull is just way faster than everybody else. Is this a good thing? No, especially when you're trying to court new fans. Formula One got spoiled, by the way, because you think about 2020. You think about everybody talking about how Formula One benefited in the United States because of COVID and everybody watching Netflix and everybody watching Drive to Survive. I wonder how much you can make that statement around the globe. But here in the United States, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, I started noticing my friends were coming up to me going, hey, you you cover racing. And I go, yeah, how about this Formula One? Tell me more about it. I noticed that's one of the reasons I started this podcast. 
because there is a void in the American media on covering this sport. And I'm trying to fill that void as a media guy. But the reality of it is, is that many fans got spoiled in 2021. Right? You had one of the greatest battles for a championship we've seen in motorsports. And then last year, you had nothing but Verstappen winning races all the time. Once Ferrari kind of got out of the way early in the season and Verstappen started winning at Imola and Miami and Red Bull was starting to win races with Sergio Perez and Monaco, all of a sudden Red Bull's leading the constructors. Max is on top of the standings and he just keeps increasing it. Yeah, American audiences were like, wait, I used to get up in the morning for this. I'm kind of enthusiastic about this, but I feel like I watch every race Max Verstappen wins. But if you've been around this sport a long time, you know that there are seasons in which there's a dominant driver and there are seasons where you battle for a championship. Not every year can be like 2012, what, seven winners in the first seven races? And not every year is going to be like Michael Schumacher or Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen winning literally everything they see. But this season, we're starting to see that there really isn't anybody yet that it can take it to Red Bull. Red Bull, in the end, Max could, will very well likely win a third title, and they'll very well likely win the Constructors. But Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, for example, showed some real speed in Australia, and maybe they closed the gap, and we have some exciting races on an individual basis rather than the sum of the parts. But is Red Bull too good? Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, they might be too good. And that's not necessarily a good thing for Formula One. You want to celebrate your champions, of course, but you also want something that people can get really excited about and feel like there is a drama to it. Here's the thing about if you want to equate this with other sports, you know, like think of an uh, whether it's an, a soccer team or, or a major league baseball team or anything, anybody that's a juggernaut, part of the joy of sticking with something is to see if the juggernaut completes the deal. Right In the NFL, we have teams that are like undefeated after 12 weeks, or they're setting scoring records, or an NBA team that wins close to 70 games. Part of the joy is to see, do they finish the journey or not? Now, we might have that, where people who have just got into this say, you know what, I want to see in the end if they do. Right, But at the same time, you do want to feel like there's somebody else that could disrupt the party every now and then. Right now, it's not every now and then. It's not at all. So, yes, Red Bull is too good this season. We'll see what they do in Azerbaijan. Number three, Fernando's great start. Three races and three podiums for the two-time champion. It's energized him from a familiar face making a comeback at Alpine to a guy that is now racing up front with Aston Martin. The season is really young, and while it looks like Red Bull is going to run away with this this season, like I mentioned before, and Max winning a third straight, straight title, the story of Lawrence Stroll's team this year is a good one. It's They're trying to be the best of the rest and doing so with a popular driver. It's kind of this marriage that's working. The older driver in an ocean of young faces. I mean, you can, the story almost writes itself. This is something to hold on to this season. Mercedes is wanting to get up there and they're fighting them. Hamilton at a P2 in Australia. Russell right behind Alonso and Jetta. Remember, so you, you've got Mercedes and Aston Martin fighting for this best of the rest category. Where's Ferrari? Well, that's our fourth talking point and fourth storyline leading to the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Good Lord, has this season been terrible. Have you ever seen two more dejected drivers on a team than you saw in Australia a month ago? Charles Leclerc putting it in the gravel on the first lap. Carlos Sainz getting a five-second penalty when they were ro rolling around on the final lap behind a safety car, going from fourth to twelfth. 
I mean, good Lord. It's a, it was a complete disaster. A, a, a race that Charles Leclerc last year dominated in everything, right? The Grand Slam victory for Charles Leclerc turned into a complete pointless weekend for Ferrari. Charles Leclerc has six points for the love of Pete. Six. So kickstart the season this weekend, shall we? Let's see. Get get involved in the uh, best of the rest party, Scuderia. Speaking as both a fan and a guy that just wants to see a little bit more fun near the top of the standings in Formula One. All right, the final thing to watch for, the unpredictability is the predictable at Baku. One thing that makes this race one of the better stops on the F1 calendar is something seems to always happen that you just can't count on. For starters, there have been five Azerbaijan Grand Prix races. Uh, there was the European Grand Prix that was raced on the circuit in 2016. Like with that, we have six runnings at Baku. And a different winner each and every time. I'll go through them. Nico Rosberg in 2016, Daniel Ricciardo in 2017, Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas, Sergio Perez, and Max Verstappen. They have it. Those are the six. No other team has won there other than Mercedes or Red Bull, but a different driver has been on top of the podium. Oh, and by the way, this race has a tire puncture every single year. We've had a few engine failures, magic button issues. Remember that where Lewis Hamilton went straight through turn one on a restart in 2021. This was one of those jump out of your chairs screaming events that you saw on your TV. This race has seen so much over the years. It's super fast coming down that long stretch to the line. Tire wear affecting Valtteri Botas in 2018. He had the lead when his tire blew. Verstappen, the same thing happened to him in 2021. Hamilton, that lockup, as I mentioned earlier. Verstappen and Ricardo. Remember they crashed into each other in 2018? Remember that? Red Bull was so ticked off. Christian Horner made them apologize to every single team member. I could go on, but you get the point. This is a bag of everything. It's why it's one of my favorite races of the year. You just don't know what's going to happen. You can't count on anything. By the way, those tire punctures, that happens all the time there. I don't think there's been a race that has been run at Baku without a punctured tire somewhere along. And so most of the times it's two important drivers that are up front. All right, speaking of Baku, this is a straight circuit. They've got both speed and overtaking opportunities. There are 20 turns on this circuit. Now, the first few 90-degree corners before the circuit heads into the castle section. This is turns 8 through 12. It's a set of short flicks of the wheel through a narrow street that's got near an old castle structure. You're getting into the old part of the city. After that, it doesn't run a complete true circle. It's more like a stop sign, kind of a series of left-hand bends, if you will before things start to straighten out a little bit. Now, when you get to turn 16, it's a 90-degree turn, and then this is the longest, fastest part of the circuit. Turn 17 through the final one, you take this at full tilt all the way to the line. There are two DRS zones right after turn 2 down to turn 3 in the city section, and then coming off turn 20 into turn 1, it's a long straight. You're going to hit some of the top speeds you're going to have in the sport. It is a nice long 
eighth gear straight. The Grand Prix will run 51 laps on Sunday. The sprint race will go 17 laps on Saturday. Pirelli bringing the softest tire range to the race. C5 softs, C4 mediums, C3 hards. One-stop strategy usually gets it done at Baku. Uh, we had some. We had a red flag finish two years ago, so that changed some things. But one-stopper is usually what's in store for this Grand Prix. All right. Now, let's go back in the time machine, Sherman, shall we, to Australia and Melbourne. Melbourne and Albert Park for our top five and bottom five. We go with the bottom five. And if you're new to this podcast, bottom five could be anything, anyone. It, it, it's, it's wide open. I will, I've given a team, team principals, the FIA drivers, of course, usually the ones that I mentioned, whatever circumstances are happening in a Grand Prix could be a top five or bottom five, but we're going to start with the bottom five through one. And number five is Alex Albon. I uh, made a Q3 finish on Saturday and had his Williams up to sixth place. And then he had a curb, lost control, spun into a barrier and brought out the safety car. Then gravel was on the track that needed to get cleared off. His car needed to be taken off the circuit. So they threw the red flag. Last year, Albon took a set of hards. If you remember this from a year ago, he took those set of hards when he was, when, went all the way to like the end and changed just at the last minute because you have to have two tires on your finish. But he started with hards and just rode them all the way to almost the end of the Grand Prix, changed them over, and got, got a point for Williams. But uh, this year, he's in the bottom five. Number four, George Russell. I will give it to drivers even if things are not their fault. It's just sort of they're representing the unit. But I could, I could change this from George Russell to George Russell's team. Russell was hit with a double whammy in Melbourne. First, he came into the pits during the Albon crash, and then after that, the race was red flagged. So any benefit or an advantageous benefit that he had was nullified um, because he had gotten the lead of the race, but then the red flag came out and he had already pitted. Now everybody gets kind of a free pit stop, and he was like, well, shoot. All right, but he had a real brilliant jump on Verstappen early on on this race. All right, then... The race was over when his car caught on fire. So that's George Russell. He is four on the bottom five, more like his team, but that's, that's the way it goes. Number three, Carlos signs. He was ready to finish fourth, a good result for the team on a really tough day. Saw Carlos signs go from fourth to 12th because of a five second penalty that came when all the cars got bunched up banging around in the first turn on the final restart, and he bumped Fernando Alonso. They gave him the five-second penalty. Now, here's the thing. Under normal green flag racing where, you know, you're just rolling around, rolling around, five seconds might cost you a, a place, two places maybe, if you kind of got the cars all spread out under green flag racing throughout a Grand Prix. You get a five-second penalty, might drop one spot. But when all the cars are bunched up together, running back and forth around a track under a safety car, you're going to go from whatever position you are to the back end of the field with a five-second penalty. And that's what happened to Ferrari, and it was so it was tough. The penalty itself wasn't necessarily tough. It's five seconds for the contact, but it's the circumstance in which it was applied at the end that was damaging. Like I said, he went from points, fourth, getting points for fourth, to getting no points at all. So Ferrari was left with nothing, nothing on the day. Uh, how about Alpine? They are number two on the bottom five. Both Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon were running in the points. Uh, then during that final restart, they collided with each other. and That was over. These guys are not heated enemies by any means, but they're not good friends either. 
Now, they said afterwards, all is fine, no hard feelings, but I'm sure there were some, right? There's, there has to be. If a guy you don't like, even if he's a teammate, knocks you out of the points, I, I don't know if I would be like, oh, could have been somebody else. Glad it was my teammate. No, you're probably like, golly, that guy. Number one, Charles Leclerc. We discussed this earlier. Leclerc spun into the gravel on the first lap of the race. The first lap of the race. I can't stress that enough. He has six points after three races. Six. Six. I can't stress that enough either. Last year, he left Melbourne as the driver to beat after a dominating weekend, and this time he's left looking for some answers. And now Ferrari can figure out how to get something going for the rest of the season. And by the way, they got next uh, 20 races to do so. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Now it's the top five. Number five, Nico Hulkenberg. Remember I told you Leclerc has six points on the season? Do you know who else has six points on the season? That's right, Nico Hulkenberg. He got all six in Melbourne with a seventh-place finish. He could have finished fourth. Officials decided to go back to the pre-restart running order. Is that a phrase, pre-restart running order? I'm going to make it one. Nevertheless, that order was seventh before the accident, so that's where he was. His ability to get up to fourth after all the chaos, that was nullified. But he still gets six points, and that ties him with Charles Leclerc. How about number four, McLaren, especially Oscar Piastri, a double point stay for the team after two terrible races to start the season. And this was a big deal for Piastri. He grew up just miles from Albert Park, and for him to get his first Formula One points there had to have been special, right? Had to have been. But the bigger picture is McLaren is back on the board. They got a 12-point day, and they got some upgrades coming for this weekend. So I was looking up a little bit for Lando and Oscar as they head to Baku. Number three, Fernando Alonso. Three races, three podiums. The last two podiums came, though, with some review. Right? Remember Jetta? He finished third. Then they gave him a time penalty. So then there was George Russell that got third. Then they reviewed it, and they gave it back to Fernando Alonso. It was like until like 1 in the morning Jetta time when they were sorting all that stuff out. In Australia, he got hit by signs on the restart. He was able to keep going, but he had fallen back. And then he was radioing in. He was telling his team, hold on, they should go back to the pre-restart running order. I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with that for a bit. And he was right. That's exactly what they did. So he maintained a third-place finish and got that back and now was on the podium. Number two, Lewis Hamilton. Mercedes' first podium of the year. He really showed how competitive that car was going into that weekend. Toto Wolff is dampening down these high expectations now, slow down a little bit. But nevertheless, it does have Mercedes fans thinking, hey, wait, keep upgrading this car. Keep working on this car. We might actually have some good results this season. Maybe there's one or two races where we take it right to Red Bull and beat them straight up. There's a good feeling with the Silver Arrows after what Lewis Hamilton did in Australia a month ago. So look for that this weekend, too, in Azerbaijan. There's a good feeling coming, and it has to do with not only Lewis Hamilton, but as I mentioned, George Russell had a really good jump on Verstappen early in that race, and too bad his car caught on fire. But nevertheless, Lewis Hamilton's P2 was uh, the second best of the top five. And number one is Max Verstappen. Now, for you new listeners, I don't always do it this way. I don't always go chalk. I don't always go podium as one, two, and three in my top five. A lot of times, Verstappen will win a race, dominate a race. I'll have him fourth because I think there are other better stories and other better results that kind of trump 
Verstappen based on circumstance, but not this one. This was a dominating performance for Verstappen. He's got plenty of dominating performances. Uh, this was one of those, so he deserves the top billing for the Australian Grand Prix. All right, so that is our top five, bottom five. Again, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix is coming up this weekend. We'll have a review of that race coming up next week. I really appreciate you listening to the Overtake F1 podcast. Share it with your friends. Let me know what you think on Twitter at Tony D Radio. You can email me if you want, Tony D Radio Show at yahoo.com i am a sports talk show host here in the united states so i love the feedback all right i'm tony desiri this is the overtake f1 podcast enjoy the weekend everybody